0: Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is Daniel McAdams. Daniel is the executive director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, and he's also the co-host of the Ron Paul Liberty Report. He previously served in Ron Paul's congressional office in Washington as a foreign affairs and defense advisor He's been on the show before to lend his expertise on foreign affairs. So welcome back, Daniel.
1: Tom, thanks so much for having me back. I appreciate it.
0: Well, the last time we talked, we uh, just ended a war supposedly in Afghanistan. So I guess we got seven or eight weeks off. And now (laughs) we've got all kinds of trouble again in Ukraine. Of course, that's not a new story. President Biden has said that we are, A, not going to send in troops or go to war over A possible Russian invasion of Ukraine. And he's also said that at least in the next 10 years, we're not going to admit them to NATO. So where do you think we are with this confrontation right now? And what are we trying to do? And I say we with quotes around it. I think it's a dangerous
1: game that's being played by two leaders who are in very deep political doo-doo at home, and that would be Joe Biden and Boris Johnson in the UK. They're the loudest voices um, for escalation of this issue, which, as you rightly point out, is an ongoing issue, and we can get into that later. They are looking, to me, it appears they were looking for political gain in in one of the most dangerous ways. And we see that Macron in France, for all of his faults, and there are plenty of them, along with the new German chancellor, are less enthusiastic about this game of brinksmanship with Russia over Ukraine. And ironically, Ukraine itself, which theoretically would have would stand uh, to gain the most with the U.S. and NATO getting more aggressive, are also trying to back the rhetoric way down. So it's like this who benefits question that's the age-old and most accurate question. And I think it's certainly in the U.S., and we can get into this too. You have some people running the State Department, running U.S. foreign policy, who are Obama holdovers. They're the literally the architects of the 2014 U.S. coup in Ukraine that overthrew that government. And basically, they're back for Ukraine 2.0. And that's what they think they're doing. And it's, again, a very dangerous and unnecessary game of brinksmanship.
0: So let's go back in time for just a second to 2014, because I think, of course, you're right, and Victoria Nuland still got her nose in all this, as far as I know, the person that was caught planning the coup in Ukraine, deciding who was going to be in charge of Ukraine, the U.S. State Department makes those decisions, apparently, And I just want to point out to newer listeners that in 2014, we were involved in two places very heavily over there, Ukraine with kind of a covert operation to overthrow their government and Syria, where it was not so covert and led to a very bloody civil war. And this just happens to be the two places where Russia has important ports. I think the only ports that remain ice-free all through the winter Do you think that's part of it? Are they trying to get one of those ports away from them? That seems very unrealistic, but that doesn't mean the U.S. government's not trying to do it. I
1: think that would be more of a tactical move. I think this is more of a strategic move in their minds, at least. And by the way, Vladivostok does not freeze over in the winter. But still, it's not bad to have Crimea in your back pocket. It's probably the weather's a lot nicer there. But you're right. And and not only is Newland still around, she is fired upstairs, which means that she was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, and now she's the Under Secretary of State. So she basically has gotten a huge promotion from A, unleashing hell on Ukrainians, B, literally doing what the Democrats lied and said the Russians were doing to us, which is interfering in their elections and overturning an election, which is what they did in 2014. And as you point out, I wouldn't say covert because they were pretty open about it. You had Victoria Newland, you had the U.S. ambassador, Jeffrey Pyatt, right in the streets of Kiev, handing out food to the protesters, egging them on when it got violent. And then you have, the, as you say, the released phone call where she literally goes down the list and says who among the opposition should be in power and what position they should take. And it's just, it's amazing to me when you have this in front of you that nobody wants to talk about 2014. This is where the troubles, the most recent troubles with Ukraine and Russia began, which is overthrowing election. Because if it's obvious that it's overthrown, half of the country plus whatever that voted for the guy that got overthrown is going to get pretty kicked off, as anyone in any country did. If the Chinese cheated us out of our glorious Joe Biden, the people who voted for him would be PO'd. So it's just the nature of things. But in America, there's a sense that nobody ever bothers, is bothered when we do it. It's always a liberation when America comes around with bombs, right?
0: Yeah, it's pro-democracy. We're fighting for (laughs) democracy exactly (laughs) everywhere where it happens to make Russia weaker. The motivation, I read an article the other day that posed a theory, and that's all we can do is theorize unless we get one of these people on a truth serum or something. But the, the theory was that the economic growth seems to be moving towards Asia and that Ukraine is strategically important and that somehow or other by getting Ukraine into the EU or a EU, US-EU puppet in charge of Ukraine, that we could somehow control that and not allow Russia to control commerce with Asia. Does that make any sense to you? Or is this just this Hobbesian idea that we just have to keep Russia down because any other power in the world is a threat to us?
1: Yeah, I think it's answer B. I really, I've always shied away from And that's why I ran away from academia as soon as I could. I always shy away from this global chessboard thing because I think it gives people way too much credit that are the people that are in power. It gives them way too much credit that they're gonna balance off the Russian uh, and Chinese. It's basically, it's all about encircling Russia and and encircling China. It's all about putting our ships in their ports, going into the South China Sea, Giving him a bloody nose. It doesn't go to any sort of deep, deeper thought than that, in my opinion. And anything else is just the, the scribblings of the think tank class, which are pretty irrelevant. This is about their perception is that it's raw power projection. We're gonna encircle Russia, we're going to we're gonna elect <laughs> their wonderful opposition leader that we're convinced is just one vote away who consistently polls about 1% or 2%. There's no understanding in the U.S. that the opposition party, the second most popular party in Russia, is the Communist Party, which is far more hardline. In fact, they are on Putin's right flank. Why are you still talking to the West? Why are you still talking to the Americans? And one of their top MPs, I think just a week or so ago, said we need to recognize uh, Donetsk and Luhansk. These are the two eastern provinces in Ukraine as Russian territory right away. So his pressure is not coming from the beloved Western liberal, quote unquote, opposition, but it's coming from people who want Russia to take a more hardline stance. And in fact, that that makes Putin more the moderate. And that's he actually suffers at home in popularity because of that in some circles.
0: I know that saying this is going to get me marked as a a Russian operative or whatever (laughs) they call anybody who criticizes anything that Washington, D.C. does on the foreign stage but putin really has been pretty reasonable he's shown a lot of restraint since 2013 and i'm thinking back to how he diffused the whole syrian situation with the chemical weapons and now here he is in ukraine i have to think that if this was going on in mexico and i I think you've brought this up on the liberty report We'd be bombing the whole world right now. We'd be bombing countries that had nothing to do with it if they were doing in Mexico or Canada what we're doing in Ukraine.
1: The fact of the matter is, Tom, this is why I'm a non-interventionist. And as you you point out, there is a huge faction of people that if you don't, if you dare challenge anything, you're some sort of in the pocket of someone. And, you know, this for Ron Paul goes back to your Saddam's buddy, et cetera, this whole thing. And it's, it's absurd. It's beyond, it's not even worth a response. The fact of the matter is... The U.S. interventionists, when they want to bomb a place, they will always say a foreign leader is irrational and cannot be talked to because they have to close the door to any kind of debate. Fact of the matter is, you don't have to like Gaddafi to realize he also acted in a very rational manner in the context of his country. Assad has acted in a very rational manner in the context of his country and what he's doing. Even Kim Jong un acts in a relatively rational manner. Uh, You don't have you don't have Gaddafi, despite U.S. press reports running through the streets, passing out Viagra, which is what they really, literally said when they wanted to get us bombing them. They have to convince gullible Americans that this is a madman. We can't deal with him. We can't talk to madmen, and that's what they want, and that's how they that's how they push us to war. That's the propaganda that feeds the war machine. And if you challenge it, because it's obviously all lies. And history teaches us that. It's not that, oh, you have a different opinion. Oh, let's investigate. It's no, you're an operative. You must be getting paid by Gaddafi, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've never heard anyone called a Gaddafi operative. That'd be interesting, right? (laughs) I guess it's more credible with Putin than it is with him, or was with him. Well, at Uh, the
1: time, though, if you were not going with the Viagra story, then you must be in the pay of Gaddafi.
0: At the Institute, I assume that you look at some polling What percentage of the American public actually buys the official story that Putin's the aggressor? I can't even believe anyone would believe it, but do you know about what the percentages are? Well, I can tell
1: you one story that I actually just wrote recently, which is that a study that I think 70% of Americans want us to do less overseas than we do. And that's why when we're considered extremists, we non-interventionists are considered the fringe. In fact, we represent the vast majority of Americans who really don't have an appetite for adventure overseas. And, you know, my point simply on Ukraine and and Russia is I don't care who runs Ukraine. No American should care who runs Ukraine, what they do over there. It's not a threat to the United States. If Russia wants to do some things with its neighbors, it's none of our business. I don't care what Putin has in mind as long as he's not lobbing missiles over here. And that's the just like we should be about our neighbors. I don't care what he does when the door's closed in his bedroom, as long as he's not letting his dogs crap on my lawn, right? It doesn't bother me. And that's the essence of non-interventionism and that's what they don't get. You are either justifying Putin's moves or you want to go against them. You know, How about just saying, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to any of us here. Oh, that's naive. Okay, how about a trillion dollars we waste every year propping up this idea that we have to have our finger in every dam, every crack in every dam from here to Timbuktu. How's that working out for us? Are we safer? Are we more free? Are we richer? Nope.
0: Let's take a short break for this important message. Most people consider it a fact of life that prices are going to go up over time and they've never gone up as fast as they are right now. But what if I told you it wasn't always like that? That for over 100 years, prices went down in America, even as the economy became more productive. Well, it's true. And as much as we like to blame the president when the economy is bad, presidents really have very little effect on our modern economy. The real culprit behind not only price inflation, but the constant booms and busts we suffer is the Federal Reserve System. My new book, It's the Fed, Stupid, is an appeal to Americans across the political spectrum to stop focusing on things that don't make a difference and start focusing on what does. Whether you're worried about constantly rising prices, wage stagnation, increasing wealth and income inequality, or the massive expansion of the government's size and power— they can all be traced back to an institution the powerful would prefer you ignored. Download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed, Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com and find out what you should really be fighting against. And now, back to our episode. You work on the answer then you quietly saved the day. You were right, Mr. Spock, about everything you said. We humans are logical too crazy in the head so 70 percent say we should do less again it's always the hitler of the moment it's always 1939 to these people and we can't appease hitler like neville chamberlain did or we're going to have a you know world war three putin has been since trump got elected even before he won the election this has been a constant campaign call it propaganda or whatever you want to call it that putin is this huge adversary Now, he's running a country whose GDP is less than $2 trillion. I can't remember who said it on a podcast on the weekend. They said, that's less than one bailout for us these days. These people can't possibly be a threat. So what percentage of the public perceives Putin as a real threat, and how much of that is just inside the beltway?
1: So I would disagree with that. I think Russia could be definitely a threat. A, they have zero debt. B, they have hypersonic weapons. C, they have tons of nuclear weapons. Russia could be an enormous threat. And in the region, they are a powerhouse, and they're becoming more of a powerhouse because, you know, of course, our policy is pushing them in the arms of China. And everything we say we're trying to avoid, we promote, actually. I actually think that Russia could be a very big threat, which raises the question, then why are we trying to make it a reality? It's unnecessary. There's not, we don't get anything out of it. Certainly, we Americans are forced to pay for it, especially through the inflation tax, right? Because as you say, this is just a a mid-sized bailout. It's because to this point, we can fake the money and print the money. But that's not going to last forever. Yes, they could be a threat, which is all the more reason why we need to have more rational people. The people in Washington who run foreign policy have been wrong every step of the way. As uh, as RPI wrote in a tweet earlier, or as I think I wrote in an article, these are the people who thought arming al-Qaeda in Syria was a good idea. So maybe they should not be listened to anymore. Maybe that's the problem.
0: And I should revise my own comment. They're not a threat as far as this territorial expansion in a conventional military way. But yeah, they have nukes. And I guess that's what makes it even crazier for me is that they can't give up that port in Sevastopol. They can't give that up. So if you push them into a corner and them not being able to fight a conventional war, they got one choice and that's a nuclear war. I'm not saying that's what they would do, but if you're going to corner a rat, right, they're going to have no choice. So it just makes it seem crazy to me.
1: It's just dumb. It's like us, we're going to go to, we want to occupy Guatemala. Okay, what are we going to do then? Putin wants, Putin wants Ukraine. It's absolutely impoverished. Look at the latest Transparency International report came out. It's one of the most corrupt countries on Earth. Like, who would want to own this at all? It's it, 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 We have a great piece by Scott Ritter, who I really admire. We, it's on the Ron Paul Institute website from February the 3rd. It's called America's Putin Psychosis. I cannot recommend it highly enough because he talks about precisely what you're talking about, Tom, which is the reduction of the entire body of U.S.-Russia analysis to the one person Putin. And it's because most people, even the experts like Michael McFaul and the others who, go, who who paint themselves as Russia experts, they really don't have a deep knowledge of Russia, of actual Russia, of how the Russian political system works. And so they, to sound like they know what they're talking about, they will talk about as if, you know, it's whatever Putin wakes up in the morning and decides. And in fact, it's really not that. Again, Scott Ritter's piece America's Putin psychosis, highly recommend uh, reading it to understand how experts in the U.S. get it totally wrong.
0: Yeah, definitely. We'll link to that on the show notes page. And if you'd kindly send over the other piece that you mentioned about the polling, that'd be great. So I guess I'm sitting here wanting to think, okay, the people in the State Department that are there for 20, 30 years, and this whole thing has been going on since the fall of the Soviet Union with marching NATO closer and closer to Russia's borders against the promises that were made, that they have some plan, it might be a bad plan, and that they do know something more than what you just said. Or am I kidding myself? This is just another government agency, just like the Department of Education, and it's just a complete disaster.
1: Well, I was living in Hungary when NATO membership was a big deal. And I can tell you from my own experience, because I was literally there, the first people that came in We're not NATO. We're not the US military. It was Lockheed Martin and it was Boeing, because the whole thing was driven by the desire to sell F-16s and F-15s to Hungary. And ironically, the F-15 is a dual engine jet. It never got up to full speed until it was outside of Hungarian airspace. So it was absolutely useless to Hungary. (laughs) The majority, the main reason for the expansion of NATO to these countries was selling weapons. Uh, Yes, of course, There's never a single reason. So there is the idea of encircling Russia. Cheney himself said when the U.S. – by the way, Victoria Nuland was Cheney's chief foreign policy advisor at that time. So that tells you a little bit about Victoria Nuland. Cheney's idea at the end of the Soviet Union is that we need to not only break the Soviet Union apart, but we need to break Russia apart so it can never reconstitute itself and be any kind of threat. So that's the way they think. But the, but the driving force, in many ways, was the old-fashioned dollar and the idea that you're going to sell a bunch of useless weapons to Hungary. And as an aside, by the way, Hungary ultimately, it was ruled at the time by Victor, but It was going to be ruled by Viktor Orban. There was a change of government. And the Hungarians decided, when Viktor Orban was elected, they decided to go with the, with the Gripen, which is the Swedish plane, And that's when the U.S. turned on Orban, by the way. If anyone wants to research the origins of why Orban is so hated in the U.S., you can trace it back to that decision to not buy, buy American, buy Lockheed, buy Boeing. It works that way a lot. I'm telling you, Tom, it works that way a lot.
0: That's really interesting. I didn't know that about Newland. I meant to ask you because, yes, these are Obama holdovers, but Newland's been around in this game, the foreign policy game, since at least back then and and maybe before, I meant to also bring up the last time you were on because I knew you were over there when the whole war with Kosovo was going on, when President Clinton was still in. There was an incident that I still remember from then. So I was in my 20s in the 90s or early 30s. I guess I would have been in my early 30s when this happened. But they captured two of our soldiers, and I believe it was in Macedonia. And Clinton actually made some kind of statement that they had to give them up because that's not fair. It's not in the theater of war or whatever, like it's against the rules. And I mean, we're bombing their country and he's complaining it broke the (laughs) rules because he (laughs) captured two of our soldiers. It's like, how unrealistic can you be? And I'm just wondering, like someone like Victoria Nuland, she's been in there for so long and thinks this is some kind of a game. Do they get in such a bubble that they don't realize the fire they're playing with and how dangerous this is?
1: Don't forget, Victoria Newland is in the Kagan crime family. This is a family of neocons. You have Robert Kagan. You have Fred Kagan. Uh, you have, what's her name? Uh, gosh, I'm forgetting her first name. She's the, she started the Institute for the Study of War, Her for the Study of More War. But no, the whole family is a neocon family. They've always been for war. When I was working for Dr. Paul on the Hill, Fred Kagan would trudge up there with this fat little body every few months and tell us how wonderful the surge was going in Iraq. And we just need more. <laughs> You know, so these are this is a family business for these people. And you're right. They've done it for decades and no one's ever called them out. They've never gotten punished for being wrong over and over again. They just keep basking in the sunlight of being experts.
0: When you were working for Dr. Paul, Congressman Paul at the time, going back to the idea that this is like a State Department enterprise a multi-president, multi-generational State Department enterprise. How much did they ever come over to talk to you? Is there any reason, since they're in the executive branch and the whole idea of Congress has the war powers all but gone, is there any reason for them to come to a congressman's office, maybe just for funding?
1: No, and they never came to
0: our office. But
1: there, there is an obligation for the Secretary of State to appear, I think, twice a year. And so we had that. But there's also, Dr. Paul was in the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, but he never, uh, he was never a ranking member. He never had a um, subcommittee. So really, it was up to the majority party and the uh, the ranking party, the high, the high leaders in the ranking party, to decide who the witnesses were. And that's why it was terrible, because you had Henry Hyde and Tom Lantos at the time. They were both rabidly pro-war, so that both the position and the opposition were saying the exact same things. There was nobody allowed to go up there and have a debate saying, hang on, let's think about this for a second. So that's why the whole thing was a a total farce. The idea that there's any kind of debating going on, it's a farce.
0: I guess the, the last thing I would say, I'm sure you saw the exchange with Ned Price by the Associated Press reporter Matt Lee, who I'd never heard of before. And he went after... Price pretty hard, as far as this whole story that Putin was going to make a film <laughs> uh, yeah. like to, like, to uh, like a film of Ukraine attacking Russia, and that Putin was going to use that as a pretext to go in. Did you see that? Yeah, in fact,
1: I wrote about it. I'm just sending you a link to it if you want to put it in, in the show notes. But no, Lee has been a, a foreign correspondent. He's been uh, the White House diplomatic correspondent for years and years. Uh, and if you go back and look at some of the stuff he did during Trump, some of the stuff he did during Obama. He's an actual journalist. He's a guy who has been through the ringer, and he's not going to take any crap. No offense to younger people, but he's not some 20-year-old. He's been around the block. And so that's why when Price was blowing smoke, he's, no, hang on a second here. You're not talking to someone wet behind the ears. And it was a great, it was a great exchange. And as I noted in the piece that I'm going to send you, the whole thing was pretty bizarrely similar to the story that was cooked up around Benghazi. Remember? Oh, they attacked us because someone made an anti-Muslim video and they were just mad. And so they attacked us. And in fact, um, Senator Rand Paul was right when he said the whole attack on Benghazi had to do with a weapons deal gone wrong with us trying to ship weapons from Libya to Syria to our wonderful allies in Al Qaeda in Syria. And that's, in fact, what was happening and what had happened. But the same kind of they're going to make a movie. They made a movie, this kind of thing. It worked for a lot of people, but hopefully more and more are going to wake up and start smelling the BS.
0: I was so shocked when I saw that because my experience has been, and I've been through quite a few wars myself, and it never seemed like the press ever questioned the government on their reasons for war. But I did the same thing you did. I thought, has this guy always been like this or has he had some kind of epiphany? But I went and looked up his exchanges during the Trump years and Obama, and he's always been a journalist, like you said, a real journalist. He's like the only one. And let me just say, he's also from Buffalo, New York. Sports is, fan, too. Right, he's a big right. sports fan. There used to be
1: a lot of them, Tom. But think about someone like Helen Thomas, who your younger readers may not know, but that's how she was. She always sat in the front row, and she always asked hard questions. And the the State Department briefers were always rolling their eyes. But there she was sitting there i think she worked until she was in her 90s Uh, but she was a terrific leader that used to be how things were done and there are very few these days who would dare do that
0: i know you don't have a crystal ball but if you had to guess how the ukraine thing is going to come out what do you think is going to happen there
1: that's still dangerous because first of all kiev has every incentive right now to do a big provocation and they have been shelling donbass every day they shelled Donbass every day, and uh, there is a real incentive for them to escalate. But I think, at least from what I'm seeing, you're seeing a lot of moves on the part of Kiev to walk this thing back. I was just, just reading a piece here. On Sunday, Ukrainian foreign minister, Dmytro Kubella, urged his fellow citizens to ignore, quote, apocalyptic predictions that a Russian invasion is imminent. So the Ukrainians, who, who theoretically would stand to benefit, Uh, They're telling their own people, they're telling the West, cool down, chill out. As I say, they're telling you, Biden, take your meds. And it's not working because they're saying even weirder things. Over the weekend, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, said the invasion could happen as early as tomorrow. They could take Kiev and kill 50,000. And the thing is what they're saying, Tom, the things are becoming so bizarre that the U.S. is losing what little shred of credibility it had. Because it even, I think it was today, the spokesman for uh, the Kremlin said, we don't listen to the Americans anymore. They've lost all sense of reality. You can't blame them for thinking that. You know, I, 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 It's dangerous. I don't think anyone wants it, even Biden, even Boris, but it could happen. We know from studying international relations history that mistakes can lead to wars, and that's why I am nervous about it, yes
0: it's not like a world war ever started over some small Central European country or anything like that. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I know you got to run. The other thing I just can't help thinking is that do the neocons really want a war with a country like Russia with nukes? Probably not. But I think they'd love to have the Cold War back because the Cold War is... Lots of money flowing, lots of military, and there is no shooting. And of course, no American cities get bombed, but a lot of money. What do you think about that theory?
1: Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter said it, so I can't take credit, but we've been sending hundreds of millions of dollars worth of weapons to Ukraine lately, defensive weapons. But someone clipped, there are a lot of bathrooms and bedrooms being redecorated in McLean, Virginia right now (laughs) on this money. Uh, And that's a fact. That is just a fact. These people live very well. Much better than you and I do, Tom, unless you've got some secrets. They live very well off of, as you, exactly as you point out, of keeping this kind of threat of war always alive
0: in everyone's minds. No, unfortunately, freedom and peace is not that lucrative these days. Let's hope that changes. Well, Daniel, <laughs> I always appreciate you being on and lending your expertise. Let's watch this and hopefully you can come back and, and talk about the next development. All right. Thanks a million, Tom. I always appreciate it. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook. It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening.
1: The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need
0: by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.